Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. It's conference championship week in college football. We're headed into the last month of pro football. Basketball and hockey are in full swing, and BetOnline has you covered with all of the props, odds, promos, and parlays during the sports calendar. Use our promo code BLEAV, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night, however and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. Welcome, 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 everybody. It is another NFL Monday. It's an NFL Monday coming at you on a wonderful, wonderful week 12. Hope you had a good Thanksgiving. If you want some college football talk, we got a Michigan versus Ohio State postgame show you can check out yesterday. We're going to talk about Kenneth Walker and the Seattle Seahawks. We're going to give out a Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award. And we're going to talk about one team in particular who... uh, It's the Atlanta Falcons. They did Atlanta Falcons shit. And I want to actually talk about the Atlanta Falcons shit because sometimes it's good to marvel at the Atlanta Falcons. As always, every NFL Monday is one NFL Monday closer to Nathaniel Hackett's inevitable firing, and at this point, I think we're pretty close to the inevitable firing of Nathaniel Hackett at this point. There's a circumstance in which the Seattle Seahawks could walk away with Bryce Young and still make the playoff, which is just magnificent absolutely magnificent outcome because the thing I've been saying from the beginning is please protect Bryce Young at all costs don't let him go to Houston we might not be able to prevent that at this point because by every metric I have looked up Houston is the worst team in the NFL so we might not be able to protect Bryce Young from Houston but maybe we could protect CJ Stroud from Carolina maybe one of those quarterbacks could get protected because uh Sam Darnold beat the shit out of the Denver Broncos this week and uh, it was uh uh, moves us one week closer to Nathaniel Hackett's inevitable firing. He's just got to make it one more week to to outlast Urban Meyer as a uh, head coach in the NFL. No matter what, he's going to have a better record. He's already won one more game than Urban Meyer. But if Nathaniel Hackett makes it one more week, he'll have lasted longer than Urban Meyer. For our A block today on the show, let's talk about the Baltimore Ravens. Because I'm going down the list. Usually in the A block, I have a rule this year, which is either something that really, really interests me, like, say, that week that we talked about Justin Jefferson and Kirk Cousins, or a game that is worthy of the A block, which, like, the Vikings-Bills game, that was an A block-worthy game. Buffalo and Kansas City, when they played, that was the entire... That was the entire show back in week six. So those are the games that we've already done 
like long form conversations for. And there wasn't really that game this week, so I was going down the list of who the best teams in the NFL were and and who there's a, a point to talk about. And Baltimore, you're the winner. Let's talk about Baltimore this week because Baltimore, I've been pretty consistent in the analysis that Baltimore has been a top five team in the NFL all season long. Remember, if you go back early in the season, they had that game where the secondary fell apart against Miami. Now, it turns out Miami's actually a really good team, so don't you know necessarily chalk it up as an L for Baltimore in that respect. But remember, they had that lead. They gave up three touchdowns in five minutes. That's a game that they win like 80% of the time. That's not one of those classic one-score losses that I talk about where like it's a coin flip and over enough time they'll average out to between 45 and 55% wins, which is basically 50-50. Wasn't that. Should have beat the shit out of Miami. They didn't. They were up 20-3 to against the Bills and gave that game back, although that result ended up being the correct one, which is the Bills are about a three-point victory on the road against the Ravens, so not too much to fault there. They threw up on themselves against the Giants where they were up a touchdown, and then Lamar Jackson threw a pick, and then Lamar Jackson fumbled, and then they went from being up 10 to being down four in like five minutes. So the Ravens have blown some one-score games this year. The same way that I said last year, had... Baltimore not gone or had Baltimore converted two two-point conversions which two-point conversions are basically 50-50. You flip a coin 50-50 to convert a two-point conversion because otherwise teams would be going for two-point conversions every time if they weren't 50-50 plays. Cuz remember if you kick a few, if you kick an extra point basically you're guaranteed to get two points. I don't know, whatever the percentage you want to talk about is. You get two points for sure. If you went for two every single time and you converted 46% of the time on two-point conversions, you would go for two-point conversions every time because that would get you more points than kicking the extra points. Maybe that's not the case for Baltimore because they have Justin Tucker, but I'm just just talking about it on a league-wide spectrum. If Baltimore doesn't convert those two two two-point conversions last year, one of them was against Pittsburgh. I can't remember who the other one was against. I think it was against New England where they go for two instead of trying to, to win the game. Baltimore's the number one seed in the AFC last year when Lamar Jackson gets hurt. And even though they go 0-5 to end the season, they still would have been the number one seed with Lamar Jackson and maybe sneak into the playoffs despite going 0-5 to end the season. But now we flat fast forward to this year. They, they choked, per se, a game against the Dolphins where they give up three touchdowns in five minutes after having a 17-point lead. They give up two touchdowns in four minutes against the Giants when they were up 20 to nine the entire game, or I think it was 20 to 10 the entire game. So Baltimore has a reasonable case to be an eight and two team. And in fact, the strength of record statistic, which I'm going to talk about after talking about Baltimore a bit, strength of record, which is a pro football focus stat that basically sets them up in such a way that if you put every team on a neutral field, If you had every team play on a neutral field against a league average opponent, the most average team in the league who statistically puts up all the same numbers of the most average team in the NFL, what would the point spread be in that game? Baltimore ranks fourth in that statistic. If you played the if everyone played the same league average team on a neutral field, Baltimore would be a five, six point favorite and they would be ranked fourth in the NFL. I actually wrote down everyone's numbers through week 12 about where they rank 
in terms of uh, the the SRS statistic rankings. And Baltimore came up fourth on that list. Baltimore's expected win percentage is seventh in the NFL, meaning that if you take their point, it's the Bill James formula I cite where if you take their points scored and square it and then divide it by points scored plus points allowed and then add in a ratio of something else, you can basically get what their expected win-loss record is. Baltimore's expected win-loss record going into this week was 6.4 and 3.6, which would rank them as the seventh team in the NFL in that statistic. I don't know how that changes after the Jaguars game, but basically Baltimore for years has just been incredibly unlucky after being totally unbeatable in 2019. Okay, that's background on Baltimore. We could go back to the thing I say all the time, which is like that year they went undefeated in 2019. They lost a playoff game to Tennessee because the game swung 28 points because Baltimore had two missed fourth downs that they normally during the regular season converted 93% of the time, and they had a pass go through the hands of Mark Andrews and get intercepted by Kevin Byard. Those three plays swung the game 28 points, and then they were down 14-0 instead of being up 14-0. And then the Titans were like, wait, we're up 14 points and have Derrick Henry? Oh, you've got no chance now that we've swung the game 28 points and Baltimore lost that playoff game. And they've never gotten that close since. They, they, they won a playoff game a couple years ago, but they have not gotten that close since. And I think this year they will get that close again. They will get to the divisional round of the playoff, and they might have a chance to beat Buffalo or Kansas City. I think they are the third best team in the NFL this year, and statistical evidence backs up the fact that they have a case for being one of the five best teams in the NFL, and the other teams that we're talking about are Miami and Philadelphia, and teams that are all kind of in the same group as Baltimore. Like, Buffalo and Kansas City are ahead of everyone, and then Baltimore, Philadelphia... Miami, uh, San Francisco, Dallas. The teams who I'm about to list on this strength of record statistic are the teams that are right there close with Baltimore in terms of who the best teams in the league are. I would put them matched up against anyone other than maybe Philadelphia. They would be favored in my book against anyone in the league. Statistically, they're fourth. Only Dallas has a case. And Philadelphia also has basically the same strength of record or the same SRS statistic as Baltimore. Basically, that's the whole background on Baltimore. The point I was going to make today with that is uh, really just laying out the the evidence about Baltimore being one of the best teams in the NFL. Lamar Jackson's not an MVP candidate, but Lamar Jackson doesn't have to be an MVP candidate. And by the way, even though their secondary has been like the weakest part of the team this year, still the 10th ranked defense in scoring in the NFL and number eight ranked offense in the NFL, and Kyle Hamilton, the rookie safety who they got because they Lamar Jackson missed the last five games last year and they went 0-5 and got the 14 pick in the draft. Kyle Hamilton, who our friend Blake Jude said was the best safety prospect in his grading since Derwin James and Jamal Adams, both of whom were first-round picks, the guy who was the number two ranked prospect on his board fell to number 14 in the draft to a super, super well-run organization like Baltimore. And that was just a situation where it's like, of course Baltimore is going to absolutely win that tr- that that scenario. You're telling me a, a star safety prospect falls to 
the team that's basically been the silver standard behind the Patriots for the last 20 years, yeah, of course that's going to work out great. Of course he has a Pro Bowl season as a rookie, possibly all-pro season as a rookie. Of course that shit was going to happen. Kyle Hamilton, best-ranked pro football focus safety in the NFL this year. Of course he was going to be a stud, even as their secondary falls apart, with just Marlon Humphrey and him keeping it together to make them the 10th-ranked scoring defense in the NFL. So, then we add to the fact that Baltimore had the same circumstances last year where they went for two instead of forcing overtime twice, missed on those two-point conversions, and it turned coin flips into two losses that ultimately was the difference in them being the number one seed in the AFC versus being the sixth seed when Lamar Jackson got hurt. And Baltimore had the exact same situation get flipped on them this week, which was Jacksonville scored down seven. It wasn't quite Kirk Cousins purgatory because Trevor Lawrence had his timeouts and executed a two-minute drive to perfection with those timeouts. They score a touchdown with 13 seconds to play. It's 27-26, and the Jaguars decide, fuck it, we're down one against Baltimore. We're three and seven. We're going for two to just win this football game. Overtime will not give us a better chance to win than converting this one two-point conversion right now. The same scenario Baltimore played out last year when John Harbaugh has the communication with Lamar Jackson to say, do you want to go for two? Yes, let's do it. Analytics say that it's kind of a toss-up in different situations. It said that the best choice for Jacksonville in terms of win probability this week, slight edge, is only like a three or four percentage point difference. Best chance for Jacksonville to win at that moment was to go for two, and they went for two, and they got it, and Jacksonville went up 28-27, and then Baltimore went right down the field and got the 27 yards necessary to put the ball at midfield, and you have Justin Tucker, who kicked a field goal 64 yards. The only problem was Baltimore came up three yards short, and it was three yards short of winning the game. But Justin Tucker would have made a 64-yard field goal, but from 67, Justin Tucker wasn't going to make it. So this is just another coin flip loss for Baltimore. Baltimore's had a fuck ton of coin flip losses this year. Uh, They've blown the lead. Those weren't even coin toss losses. Like the Giants game and the Dolphins game they played, that was just them collapsing on themselves. And it makes it so difficult to keep defending Baltimore and saying Baltimore is one of the four best teams in the NFL, which I genuinely believe, no no doubt about it, Baltimore is one of the four best teams in the NFL. Behind Buffalo and behind Kansas City and maybe Philadelphia and maybe Dallas, there is no other team I point to and say they would be favored against the Baltimore Ravens in a playoff game, regardless of where you play. Maybe if Baltimore goes to Philadelphia, Philadelphia is a one-point favorite. But on a neutral field, no one I'm taking other than Baltimore after Buffalo and Kansas City. And it's been really hard to keep defending Baltimore through this because they keep having the throw-up losses. And the same thing we talked about two weeks ago when we were discussing what Buffalo should do with Josh Allen. Buffalo had a two-game lead on everyone in the sport and they had the game where they lost to the Dolphins on a coin flip game 
where we, we went through it. They missed a field goal. And if they had made that field goal, they would have won the game because they wouldn't have had to go for it on fourth down. And then the butt punt happened, and then they were one second away from winning the game anyways if Josh Allen spikes it. So basically you're looking at a circumstance for Buffalo where that's a game they win 75% of the time, gave it back against Miami. They win that game against the Jets 75% of the time, they gave it back. I'm sorry, the game against Minnesota, not the Jets. The game against Minnesota... Buffalo wins that 75% of the time, and it took a one-handed behind-the-back Justin Jefferson catch along with a fumble at the goal line, along with all the other bullshit that happened at the end of that Minnesota-Buffalo game for them to give back a 17-point lead in about 10 minutes. That's a game that Buffalo, with that team, wins at least 75% of the time against Minnesota. And when they give those games back, you've just given back the two-game lead that you had, the two-game cushion that you had that would have allowed you to sit Josh Allen. Baltimore's in a similar position. They are at least two full games better than the Cincinnati Bengals. And Cincinnati hasn't had the greatest luck in one-score games this season. They've, they've beaten the bad teams. They've lost to the good teams. They're 7-4. and four. They're a wild-card team. Cincinnati is a very good wild card team, and if they match up against the Titans, like you saw this week, they will, and like you saw in the playoffs last year, they will beat the Tennessee Titans, but they will lose to the Buffalo Bills. Cincinnati is a very good team. They are a playoff team. They, they might even be in this group that we're talking about with Dallas and San Francisco. Like They are one of the eight good teams in the NFL. But you look at what Baltimore has, and Baltimore is better than Cincinnati on paper by at least two games and they've just given those two games back and they have to play Cincinnati one more time later in the season so they have the same record right now and they have to play each other which is a circumstance where if you said coming into the season that Baltimore and Cincinnati split the first few games of the season uh, sorry split their two matchups during the season totally believable totally believable that Baltimore and Cincinnati would split their two season matchups even though Baltimore is a better team on paper, as was evident when they were six-point favorites at home on Sunday Night Football against the Bengals, and I bet you if Baltimore travels to Cincinnati, uh, I think that game is at the end of the season. But when they do, I would bet you Baltimore is going to be a slight favorite. I would look at that circumstance and say, yeah, that's totally believable that Baltimore would be in that situation where they split the season series with the Bengals. And... Now if they split the season series with the Bengals because they've given back those games, losing the coin toss game to Jacksonville where they had control the whole way, losing the game against the Giants where they had control all the way, and losing the game against the Dolphins in week three or week two when they had control all the way through it, you've given back those leads and you've given back that cushion that you had by being the third or fourth best team in the NFL on paper. It won't matter because Baltimore is going to make the playoffs anyways. This is more of a semantics argument and it it might not matter anyways because they might get an easier first round playoff matchup. Going to Tennessee might be easier than playing at home against Cincinnati in the first playoff game. I could be convinced of that. It's a semantics argument. It's just... Baltimore, because they're going to make the playoffs, it won't matter. It just leads to them being a little bit overlooked and overshadowed because I don't think very many people, or at least the people I'm engaging with in the football world, would point to Baltimore and say, after Buffalo and Kansas City, who's the next best team in the NFL? I think the first teams you might go to are Dallas. You might go to Philadelphia. I would pick Baltimore 
and I also understand the Cowboys, Philadelphia, San Francisco conversations because I don't think those teams are that far apart from each other. The thing that separates Baltimore, that quarterback, that special tier one quarterback who's the third best quarterback in the league behind Josh Allen and and Patrick Mahomes, that quarterback gives Baltimore a slight edge. And when you have a defense that's top 10 in scoring offense and top 10 in scoring defense, which sometimes can be misleading. I mean, DVOA has Baltimore not as a top 10 defense this year. But you could look at that and say that team plus that quarterback in those moments where you can run your running game and your passing game through him, that is a team that is the third best in the NFL and can stack up against anyone in the league and be favorites except against Buffalo and Kansas City which is no shade to Baltimore at all. The fact that they're in the same camp as Buffalo and Kansas City and the fact that I could look at that and say, yeah, weird result, they could win a play. They could do what the Bengals did last year. Weird result, they could they could end up beating Buffalo. They could end up beating Kansas City on the road. Maybe they get a home game in one of those. They could pull that off. So I look at that circumstance and I'm like, against everyone else in the league, Baltimore is there. Maybe that makes them elite. I know people say like there's usually four, five, six elite teams. I think there's only two this year. I think Baltimore is in the second tier of like second round exit teams. But also if you put Baltimore in the NFC, they would probably be betting favorites to win the NFC. Either them or Dallas or Philadelphia might all be the same odds to win the NFC. So you know, that's just a tough break once you get to the playoff. But, you know, if Baltimore is the third best team in the NFL, like I believe statistically that they are, I think you could look at that team and say, man, you've given back a little bit of a lead, but come playoff time, I don't think that's going to matter in the grand scheme of things. And it won't because Baltimore is going to get in the playoffs anyways. I say that knowing that last year at this exact time, Lamar Jackson got hurt and a team that should have been the one seed if they convert those two two two-point conversions, the number one seed ended up not making the playoff. So as long as Lamar Jackson is healthy, Baltimore will make the playoff, and in my book, Baltimore is the third best team in the NFL. And even if you want to play the semantics argument of third, fourth, fifth, sixth, Baltimore is somewhere between three and six in terms of the best teams in the NFL, and that should be good enough to get them to the divisional round of the playoff because, again eight teams make it to the divisional round of the playoffs. So Baltimore, regardless of matchups, regardless of who they play, they should be pretty much in the clear until they get to Buffalo and Kansas City. Garoppolo drops back to throw. You're gonna lose the game. The seasons come and seasons go. The Niners need a change. If you don't throw check downs, you're gonna take a sack. Jimmy G is warming up. Yeah, he's your quarterback. No, don't throw it. Interceptions drive us all insane. Phones are calling. 
Ron Rivera wants to make a trade. If a rookie QB isn't in your plans, just call San Francisco up. They got your quarterback. They say he's smart and he wins games. That don't mean a thing. If since week one, Trey Lance had played, the 49ers would have had a ring. If your team's rebuilding, talent's what you lack. Trade two picks for Jimmy G. Now he's your quarterback. All right, so for our B block here today on the show, I'm going to do something that I don't normally do with these NFL Mondays. It's something that I did a lot last year and the year before when we were obsessing over football, and I made it a mission. I'm going to talk about every single football game or acknowledge every single football game on these NFL Mondays. I went overboard trying to do that in 2020. In 2021, I turned it into two podcasts trying to talk about every game, whether it was the NFL Monday and the Memes of the Weekend podcast we used to do. I was going to address every single NFL game. And this year, as part of being a healthier, happier human being, I have cut bad football out of my life. So usually when I do these NFL Mondays, I'll take one, two topics that I'm interested in for 20, 30 minutes and build out a show from there. However, we got delivered a freaking awesome witching hour in the afternoon games. So I'm just going to do the thing where I go game to game through the afternoon games here because there are talking points in each of these. And I'm just going to do little bitty analysis from all of the afternoon games, starting off with the 49ers. I actually made this joke going into the week, and it rang true coming out of the the Saints and 49ers game, which is Sean Payton left for a reason in New Orleans. Like, I know Sean Payton was going to take the Miami Dolphins job, and then the Brian Flores lawsuit happened, and it blew up the plan for Tom Brady to be president slash player, and for Sean Payton to get paid $25 million a year to coach the Dolphins. I know that was the workaround plan, Sean Payton wouldn't have made that call in the first place if the Saints weren't an organization that was falling apart. And by the way, the Saints went all in two years ago to get Drew Brees and Sean Payton one last crack. Between 2017 and 2020, the New Orleans Saints won more regular season games. I believe the number was uh, 52. It was either 51 or 52. The Saints won basically 12 and a half regular season games every year for four seasons. They're the best team in the history of the NFL in terms of regular season wins that didn't play for a Super Bowl. And if you'll remember, the way those years ended was Minnesota Miracle in the second round, NFC Championship game with the pass interference call against the Rams. Year after that, lose to Kirk Cousins in the wild card despite winning 13 games and having to play in the wild card. And this was the old format. They were the three seed that year. And then the last year when they went all in, they lost to Tom Brady 
in the divisional round, the eventual Super Bowl champion, Tom Brady, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So for four years, they went all in, and not only did they go all in by setting up a long-term salary cap projection that was $100 million over the cap the year after the year Drew Brees retired, it was also Michael Thomas broke his leg the first week of the season in a game where they were up 30 points against the Packers, and he probably shouldn't have been in in the first place. They broke. He broke his leg and played through it the entire rest of the season. Michael Thomas missed the entire 2021 season and basically the entire 2022 season because he played through a broken leg during that last dance Saints season. And so Sean Payton left, Drew Brees left. There was good reason because it is a shell of what the team used to be at this point when we're talking about the New Orleans Saints. So... Sean Payton left for a reason, and uh, we're seeing the evidence of that for the Saints this year. I will also say, I'm sure Morgan will come on the show sometime soon, but I will say that uh, the Saints just played what I can confidently say is the greatest. The, The Saints played the best shutout in the history of the NFL. The Saints had two turnover on downs on fourth and goal. They um, Alvin Kamara fumbled the football at the one yard line when he was trying to like stretch for a touchdown in the fourth quarter fumbled at the one yard line and they scored zero points, but they should have had at most 24 and at the very least seven or at the very least enough to beat the, the, the San Francisco 49ers who only put up 13 points and Jimmy Garoppolo had one touchdown, but also almost threw a pick six. That's another thing to add to the mix. They threw basically a pick six that got tackled at the goal line. So you had one of those three misses inside the five-yard line came off a Jimmy G pick six. So the Saints should have won that game, and they got shut out. And I think that's the first time I can ever say that in my entire life of watching football. The Saints should have beat the 49ers while scoring zero points. Because they should have had at most 24 in that football game. Next game in the afternoon slate. Chargers, holy shit. L- let's play Let's play our, our ch- the San Diego Super Chargers song. Because God, that was just reminiscent of childhood Phillip Rivers moments. And the good ones. The, the ones that actually bring me joy from childhood of watching the Chargers. So let's play the, su- the San Diego Super Chargers song. Because y'all deserve it after coming back in that game. Coming your way, we're gonna dazzle you with our play. 
If you haven't been listening to myself and Walter Mitchell on the Red Rain podcast, available wherever you get podcasts and on revengeofthebirds.com after every single Arizona Cardinals game. If you haven't been listening to Walter on Red Rain, the thing he's been calling the Arizona Cardinals offense going back to the offseason is that they play crawl ball with Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray. And crawl ball basically works as like they, even though they have Kyler Murray, who who we know can roll to his left and throw a ball 40 yards down the field and throw it within tiny windows, even though Kyler Murray has all of these physical gifts, whether by Kyler's own stubbornness or Cliff's own stubbornness, which it appears to be kind of a combination of both this year as, as now the public reputation of both has kind of taken a hit. As we're watching them play, we've seen that the Cardinals play this crawl ball offense where they kind of put Kyler within a 10-yard by 10-yard box, work the middle of the field even though Kyler is a shorter quarterback and he's better when working the edges than he is to the middle of the field statistically. Uh, Lots of draw running schemes, making him a pocket passer at times even though it would not necessarily be the most advising way. Walter brings up the fact that Uh, Kyler has a famous quote going back to last year that maybe he regrets now where he says running is a luxury and the Arizona Cardinals against the Chargers finally opened up the playbook you saw Kyler Murray going for design runs at the goal line that were leading to touchdowns. They were doing read options and pitches with Keontae Ingram. James Conner was the Cardinals' first 100-yard rushing running back since week four of 2021, last year when the Arizona Cardinals started the season 8-0, and and since then I believe they're now like 8-17 and in the time since. Like, the Arizona Cardinals offense was humming, was humming along today. They had Kyler Murray passing and throwing for about 300 yards of offense. They were averaging over five yards per play for most of the game. That went down at the end when they ran three consecutive three and outs to end the game. Y'all, just right at the end, Arizona, it was a perfectly executed game plan. The Chargers have a terrible rushing defense. In fact, the worst rushing defense in the NFL history. Last year, they finished 32nd in rushing defense. This year, they're 31st. Only the New York Giants are worse, and we saw what Zeke and Tony Pollard did to them on Thanksgiving. Like, the Chargers' rushing offense is te- rushing defense is terrible. Terrible. And the Arizona Cardinals took full advantage of that with Connor going for 110 yards. Kyler had a rushing touchdown. They were cooking against the Chargers, doing anything they wanted on offense. DeAndre Hopkins had a bunch of big catches. He had a touchdown where he broke a tackle and went for 40 yards. They were doing everything they wanted on offense. They had 24 points going into the fourth quarter, and then it all disappeared. It all disappeared. And by the way, it all disappeared, and it still should not have mattered. I posted this on the internet. Uh, I'm sorry that I I realized I was like, shield your eyes, Walter and Joe Camo, but then I tagged them in it. So there was a much better chance that they were going to see it now. So I kind of like was counterintuitive on that one. But the Arizona Cardinals, when they got the ball back off of the punt by the Chargers with 2.20 to go at their own 10-yard line, the Cardinals had a 93% win probability. They had a 93% win probability, up seven. The Chargers had one timeout. 
I'm sorry, the Chargers had three timeouts, but with 220 to go, one first down effectively ends the game. The alternative is they go into Kirk Cousins' purgatory with 20 seconds and needing to go 80 yards. You get one first down, and the game is effectively over, and the Cardinals go negative run play, sack by Kyler Murray, where I, I forgot the name of number 42 on the Chargers. I think it was Davis. Um, rushes from the secondary, and Justin and Kyler Murray knows in that circumstance to just take the sack. Y'all, the Cardinals take the sack. Yeah, it was uh, uh, Davis in the secondary for the Chargers ends up getting the sack on Kyler on second and 10. And then they throw a screen pass just to force the Chargers to burn a timeout and to get out of their own, I think they were inside their own 10-yard line or their own 5-yard line at that point. And so just to get out of their own way, they have to just take a, they, they have to take an L and force the Chargers to call timeout. And then they punt back to the Chargers Chargers go right down the field against the 29th-ranked passing defense in the NFL, and they still almost get a stop at the end. They still almost get a stop on Austin Eckler on third and goal with 12 seconds to play. I think they changed it to 15 after, but with 15 seconds to play, they still had a stop and nothing. And nothing. Because then the Chargers do the, the thing we just talked about with Baltimore and Jacksonville, which is fuck overtime one we need to go two yards with our offense Brandon Staley's the guy who last year got the reputation for being the go for it on every circumstance our defense is ass the Cardinals did everything they wanted the first three quarters of that game yeah we're gonna go for it one play and that's gonna decide the game because again 93 percent win probability for Arizona two minutes and five seconds of game time ago 93 percent chance of winning the game. Arizona had 16 yards on their final three possessions after that touchdown drive that ended with the, um, the I can't remember who, um, who had the touchdown at the end, but uh, Arizona, uh, I think it was a James Conner touchdown. After the James Conner touchdown, which came on either the third quarter or the last, or the first couple plays of the fourth quarter, yeah, it was 13 minutes to go. So, with 13 minutes to go, Arizona had 24 points, and then they go punt, 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 three and out, three and out, three and out, 16 yards of total offense, and the Chargers just go right down the field, and with a 93% win probability, Arizona takes the L. And it wasn't even like they threw up on themselves. It was just like, oh, the Chargers are clearly better than you, and they're just going to do whatever they want in order to come back in this game. It wasn't even a throw up on themselves like Baltimore where they have like turnovers or give up bomb plays to the Miami Dolphins or the throw up on themselves where Josh Allen has four red zone turnovers at the end of the Minnesota game and the Detroit game combined. Nah, it's just like we didn't even have a chance. <laughs> we were killing them for three quarters and in the fourth quarter we just got smoked. We just got smoked. It wasn't even really the whole fourth quarter. Like, offensively, the Cardinals were constipated the whole fourth quarter. The Chargers' offense wasn't doing great either. Their defense was playing fine. It was at the last two and a half minutes of the game, plus our fourth quarter offense, just no chance. Just we are clearly not better than the Chargers, and we're going to lay down and give up 93% win probability so the Chargers can come back and win. S-U-C-C-E-S-U-C-E-S-U-C-E-S-U-C-E-S-U-C-E-S-U-C-E-S-U-C-E-S-U-C-E-S-U-C-E-S-U-C-E-S-U-C-E-
Nothing interesting to talk about from the Rams and Kansas City game, but Kansas City won, so I'm going to play the Mahomes song because I'm still feeling hyped about the fact that Kansas City has the best record in the AFC, despite the fact that they got rid of Terry Kill and everyone and Tyron Matthew and Daniel Sorensen and Charvarius Ward and everyone was freaking out that Kansas City was going to be worse than the Chargers and the Raiders and the Broncos tune into last week's NFL Monday if you want me to boast about Kansas City and uh, 30 minutes of Chiefs analysis there Rams were playing with Bryce Perkins and no Cooper Cup they cut Daryl Henderson last week it's fine the Rams are tanking but they don't get their own draft picks so uh, Sean McVay should have probably retired and might still retire. If you want to talk about Sean McVay's retirement, go back to three NFL Mondays ago. We've done a lot of Rams in Kansas City already. So last game to talk about, Raiders and Seahawks. The Raiders have a really bad defense. And so the story I thought coming out of that game was going to be, hey, we got to see Kenneth Walker just torch a bad defense which is when we got to see the fun Kenneth Walker plays get called out of the playbook. The joke I've been making with uh, Pete Carroll is the same one I made with Mel Tucker last year, which is like, hey, they're just going, uh, they're just smoking cigarettes and calling cool shit for... Pete Carroll and Mel Tucker are both making $90 million to smoke cigarettes and call cool plays for Kenneth Walker. And we saw Mel Tucker just went 5-7 and seven this last year at Michigan State while making $85 million on his last contract. So probably a preemptive contract, one that Michigan State can't get out of, and they'll give Mel Tucker two more years to build out of it until that buyout goes down a little bit. But Kenneth Walker went berserk against the Raiders defense and this is one of those weird games where it's like oh both teams are making a fuck ton of mistakes and so both of their defenses are bad but their offenses are turning the ball over so it's like ah anything could happen this is one of those games where you look up and it's like wow how did uh the Seahawks win 38 to 3 against the Raiders it was like well Derek Carr threw two interceptions and they had a fumble and the you know the Raiders offense looked kind of constipated but then you look on the other side and it's like oh Geno Smith threw an interception in the red zone and Kenneth Walker took a negative 12 yard run and yeah there's just a just kind of a ridiculous game all around Kenneth Walker had two touchdowns uh, but only had I believe 26 yards in the game so I thought I was going to come in here and be like hey they called all the do cool shit plays for Kenneth Walker, uh, but then the Raiders just totally flipped the entire narrative of the game because the Las Vegas Raiders, Las Vegas Raiders were some wild boys. Like Kenneth Walker, Kenneth Walker going into the fourth quarter had like 50 rushing yards on eight carries and two touchdowns in the fourth quarter. I kid you not, I think he had six carries for negative 14 yards. I think that's no joke. I think. He legitimately had negative 14 yards rushing in the fourth quarter <laughs> against the Raiders. And then you look up and Josh Jacobs has 303 yards of offense, including the game-winning 86-yard touchdown in overtime. Um, both Derek Carr and Geno Smith combined for 600 passing yards in addition to Josh Jacobs going for 303 total yards of offense, 226 of which came on the ground. Uh, sorry, 229, not 226. 229 rushing yards for Josh Jacobs. And again, Derek Carr and Geno Smith also combined for 600 passing yards. Total offense in that football game, 
958 yards. Y'all, for all the complaining that we have done all season about bad football, and I'm not just talking about me, I'm talking about the football-consuming public at large, Raiders-Seahawks was some bullshit, turn the ball over, offenses balling out while the defenses suck. We talked about this a few weeks ago. The Raiders' offense is just as, you know, normal as last year they're actually scoring more points per game this year than last year the Raiders going into the week were ranked 18th in offensive DVOA I'm sure that's going to go up after 576 yards of offense including 303 from Josh Jacobs y'all the Raiders offense is not actually that bad it's just average and you could argue you add Devontae Adams and still have an average offense that's a problem totally get that Raiders offense was fine. Raiders offense is fun. Both of these teams are we score a ton of points and our defenses are not good. Um, But the thing that was fun was that their defenses forced a bunch of turnovers. So yeah, the the Raiders-Seahawks game, I was working it at the radio station, uh, which doesn't necessarily mean I always pay close attention. Like I'm watching Red Zone. I had uh, Chargers and Cardinals up while I was watching the game at the radio station or while the game was playing on radio at the radio station. So I had the the Saints Niners game on TV. So just cuz I'm just cuz I'm working a game doesn't necessarily mean I'm intently focused on what is happening in the game, but this was one where I'm like I'm watching and listening to this one cuz man, that was the most fun football game of the year. The, I mean not of the year, of the week. The witching hour was crazy fun and uh the Las Vegas Raiders won <laughs> kind of a meaningless game, but who cares? It was super duper fun. And there were 958 yards of offense between the two teams. All right, everybody, it is time for us to award the week 12 NFL Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award. This is, of course, the Philip Rivers Memorial Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award, a celebration of quarterbacks who find themselves every single week down six, no timeouts, with one minute to play, and needing to go 75 yards to win a game. It's a purgatory that no team ever wants to find themselves in, and a purgatory with which I was indoctrinated into football fandom growing up for the, in San Diego. The San Diego Chargers of Phillip Rivers and post-Ladanian Tomlinson spent every single week down six, no timeouts, needing to go the length of the field in about 30 seconds. And uh, it's a purgatory nobody wants to find themselves in, but every week someone usually finds themselves in that position. Kirk Cousins has done it like seven times in just the two years that we've been keeping track of this award. So this week uh, we actually had an award winner playing against Kirk Cousins on Thursday Night Football. It was Mac Jones. Usually I don't like going back to the Thursday night games to uh, to pick the winner, but there were three this week. It was a nationally televised Thanksgiving game, and when you find yourself in a nationally televised Thanksgiving game, I think you deserve a chance to be nominated for the award, especially when it's a nationally televised Thanksgiving game involving Kirk Cousins. This time, Kirk Cousins was on the winning end of Mac Jones being down seven with one minute to play and a touchback that set them up needing to go 75 yards down the field. An exact Kirk Cousins purgatory situation 
So congratulations to Mac Jones. We almost had two this week. We almost had two Kirk Cousins purgatories in the exact same week. Only this week we had a running into the punter that ended up depriving us of two Kirk Cousins purgatory situations this week. Uh, which is actually what I want to close out the podcast by talking about. It is the uh, the godforsaken Atlanta Falcons. Because, God, Atlanta and Washington is, is one of those games where it's just, just yuckiness all over the place. In a weekend that was full of yuckiness and uh, at halftime, eight of the 14 teams in the morning window had 10 points. Which is just a gross, yucky game. Like... Just a gross, yucky slate of football in the afternoon. The the yuckiest of them all was uh, that Falcons and Washington game. Because you know how I say like the Atlanta Falcons used to... Actually, the inspiration for the song that we have about the Atlanta Falcons... Uh, for those who don't know, we did a uh, We Didn't Start the Fire parody of the Atlanta Falcons. The inspiration for that was that after the Super Bowl, the Atlanta Falcons basically ran... Every game without a defense and an offense that was capable of putting up 30 points. And the joke I used to have is that the Falcons scored 30, gave up 30. It was kind of a coin toss, and they would win about half the time, go 8-8. Eight and eight. In the three seasons following the, the Super Bowl loss to the Patriots, the Falcons went 24-24. and 24. And uh, they basically scored 30, gave up 30 in every game. It was super entertaining football, even if it was mediocre football. And so... This was not that. This was 1913, Washington and Atlanta. Marcus Mariota at the two-yard line to win the game, throwing an interception, which, God, if I haven't seen Phillip Rivers do that so many times in his career, just the end of the game, going in for the win, throwing a crucial interception to lose, uh, but then getting the ball back and getting to go down the field in 38 seconds, down six needing to win the game, and uh, that was basically what happened to the Falcons. Marcus Mariota threw an interception at the two-yard line. It wasn't really his fault. It was a tipped interception, but Arthur Smith's facial reaction afterwards was great. Arthur Smith had the I just farted in public and everyone heard it face after watching Marcus Mariota throw the game-ending interception at the two-yard line because you know Arthur Smith didn't want to throw that football. The play before, he called a design run for Mariota. He had Tyler Algier in the backfield. You know he wanted to run the football, but he just couldn't because Washington has a good defensive line and they had already tried to run the ball in twice and it didn't work. I mean, you know that's what he wanted and it just didn't work out for them. So, yeah, that was kind of how that game ended. And, again, they got the hold. They were going to go into Kirk Cousins' purgatory, but then they ran into the punter, and that was the end of the game. They got the ball literally at the 30-yard line, needing to go 70 yards in 38 seconds with no timeouts, down six. It was a true Kirk Cousins' purgatory situation, and Marcus Mariota was deprived of it because they ran into the punter on the last play of the game. Also, Washington's the seven seed in the NFC now. Uh, they're seven and five. It's really stupid. And basically, the the conclusion that you can draw from Washington at this point is the last NFC playoff spot is basically just they had to send someone. Really, the last two NFC playoff spots are they had to send someone. There's barely five good teams in the NFC this year. The Seahawks are actually a surprisingly good team because, uh, as we talked about, Kenneth Walker, excellent, 
excellent football player. Uh, that draft class with Tariq Woolen added in with uh, Kobe Bryant in the secondary. Both of them have been impact players. Jordan Brooks, a former first-round pick who we thought was a bust, has actually been pretty good this year. Geno Smith being a top quarterback, being put in a position to succeed. Like Seahawks are a surprising sixth team, but you go you go down the list. It's like Dallas, Philadelphia, San Francisco. There are four teams in the AFC better than those teams. Then you get Minnesota, and then after that, they just have to send someone. They Tampa Bay, at the very least, you can look at them and say, hey, they have a great defense, but they're literally incapable of scoring 20 points. We've seen that the last three weeks. They are just literally incapable of scoring 20 points in a game. So the the last NFC playoff spots are like they just had to send someone. They had to send Tampa, they had to send Washington, they had to send the Giants. Someone had to get those spots. Looks like it's going to be Washington and they got the win because of Marcus Mariota throwing a pick at the end and the Falcons falconing and I guess in a way they also got it from the Packers packering at the end of those games. Again, they they have to send someone. So it's going to be Taylor Heineke. Or Daniel Jones and the Giants, because again, they just they have to send someone as the last wild card team in the NFC. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. Appreciate each and every one of you for your continued support of the show. Leave a five star review, download all that good stuff. We've got all of the great content coming at you over the next couple of days. Uh, we're going to have some guests join us once again. Maybe we're going to... Ha- oh, we have the Mixies this week. I forgot about that. Thursday is our annual awards show, celebrating the mediocre average and teams convincing themselves they still have a chance. We've got a loaded Mixies awards this year, so I'm excited to bring that to you guys on Thursday. Uh, stay tuned for that. Take it easy, everybody. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. And you know what? I'm going to play us out today with the Atlanta Falcons' We Didn't Start the Fire song because, I mean, it's it's really good. <laughs> that song is perfect for making parody songs. And uh, the Atlanta Falcons, who score 30, give up 30, and uh, basically go 500. Uh, this year they score 20, give up 30, and go 5-12. and 12. Uh, that's, or I guess they're going to go like 7-10, and 10, but whatever. Uh, Let's play it out with the Atlanta Falcons song, baby. Harry Douglas, Arthur Blank, Dante Fowler, Michael Vick, Devin Hester Hayden, Hurston Caleb McGarry. Tack McKinley, Deion Sanders, Michael Turner, Grady Jarrett, Austin Hooper, Tevin Coleman, Tony Gonzalez. Warwick Dunn, Brent Grimes, Kyle Pitts, Des Turfont, Leftwich, Julio, Mascot Has Creepy Eyes, Darren Holland, KZ, Maddie won an MVP, AJ Terrell, Duron Harmon, Russell Gage, Vic Beasley. We're the Atlanta Falcons, we're always flying and we keep on trying. We're the Atlanta Falcons, we keep blowing leads but we try to fight it. Steven Jackson, Jalen Mayfield, Dan Quinn, and Shanahan, Jeff, George, Jake, Matthews, Fabian, Moreau, Mike Davis, Ito Smith, Devonta Freeman's Pro Bowl, Jock Keys, Rogers, Asante, Samuel, Young Way, Dean Pease, Mike Smith had a winning team, Henry Crockett, Petrino, Calvin Ridley, Jaden Graham, Deion Jones, Tajay Sharp, Daryl is a running back, Chris Lindstrom, D'Angelo Hall, some dude names a Keyes, we're the Atlanta Falcons. 
We're always flying and we keep on trying. We're the Atlanta Falcons. We keep blowing leads, but we try and fight it. Dirty Bird, bring it back. Roddy White and Alex Mack, Alford, Luke McCown, Super Bowl prostitutes, Justin Hardy, Matt Shaw, Atlanta Braves, baseball beat with an onside kick. Dirt Cutter's an idiot. Corey Peters, Richie Grant, Chris Chandler, Paul Warlow, Lee Smith, Jay Brown, Super Bowl's a no-go, Sanu Brooks, Reed, Mike Pinnell, Matt Hennessy, Dwight Freeney, Toy Lolo, don't score that ball, Todd Gurley. We're the Atlanta Falcons, we're always flying and we keep on trying, we're the Atlanta Falcons, we keep blowing leads and we try to fight it.